When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Folding pocket. It's time now for the chipping forecast, issued by Folding Pocket on behalf of Andrew Cotter, Eddie Pepperell, and special guest Ian Carter. Well, hey there. Come on in. And welcome to Club Chip, where you're guaranteed to have a good time some of the time. So why don't you grab a drink, pull up a chair, and get ready for a wild ride tonight as we talk about PGA Tour policy and Senior Open. Mmm, you know that's good. So hello and welcome to the Chipping Forecast and uh, welcome to Ian Carter, welcome to Eddie Pepperell, welcome to you, uh, the listener. Ian, I can see you look perplexed already. Yeah, whoa, 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 what, what on a quiet week last week, was it? What, what, what's going on there? What? That's just a um, standard intro now to the chip. Is this the new intro? <laughs> I had an email from Norman. That's all you just his name, Norman. There aren't many Normans around anymore. Actually, there aren't many golfers called Norman. So I'm just uh, Norman von Nida, Australian. Norman, Norman von Nida. Yeah. yeah. And Greg, no, actually, no, not Greg Norman. Norman Norman. Um, Norman said, this is an email to my, uh, I've got a, an account on, I've got a website, which is, I just don't look at it. It hasn't been updated for about 10 years. It's got an old picture of me interviewing Federer just about the start of his career. So that it's not, it's not a good website. But anyway, you can contact me through that. And I think that's how Norman's got hold of me. Um, he said, he's given a few points about the podcast. I love it when he started. A few points about the podcast. Unprofessional sounding. But then he says, it could really benefit from being smoother in delivery. So uh, I just thought we could do a, a smooth, smooth intro, uh, imagining it as a little club where you're all welcome. That was as smooth as Eddie putting with a belly wedge, isn't it? Mm, arguably smoother, You've got a belly wedge, have you? No, Eddie? No. Uh, my belly is getting bigger, but not quite reaching my belly yet, I'm afraid, Ian. No, I didn't mean that. I meant like the, the point of putting you know, on the, on the, um, equator of the ball. I was, it was just a back reference to, um, to that great putting tip you gave. I always thought that was a Texas wedge, but turns out Texas wedge is just using a putter off the green. Is it? Yes, that's correct. That's my understanding anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I should know that really. I've been playing golf for 30 years, but yeah. Um, you bought a putter on eBay, Eddie, didn't you? 
someone said we didn't talk about it and we teased that you had done that. Did it arrive? Because I was worried that you had bought this putter thinking it was as advertised and that perhaps you're being scammed. Has it arrived yet? Yeah, no, it came in, came in from China and uh, it's all in one piece. Um, it's, it's a solid piece of equipment, although I need to get it lengthened and loft light. So I'm, I'm off to do that tomorrow. So I haven't actually really used it yet, but um, I can confirm that it is all in one piece and a very healthy looking piece of metal. Good. Excellent. Um, so we're into the tournament void. What, Ian, what? Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to ask Eddie if you're like most golfers, that when a new parcel arrives with new equipment in it, it's still, you know, one of the most exciting things that can happen. I do remember those days, but it's it's definitely worn off, Ian. Um, oh. Although I'll say I've bought, and this is true, my two wins on tour came with a pro shop bought putter. Pro shop bought putter, I should say, Betanardi which I bought uh, in a local shop. And um, I've bought many clubs from pro shops and shoes and all sorts of equipment after. In fact, Dubai last year, I in the final event, I snapped my putter on the, the second. No, oh, no, I actually threw away my shoes after the first day. I thought they were the problem. And so I went into the pro <laughs> shop in Dubai and bought a new pair of shoes. And the lady looked at me funnily. And then the next day, I snapped my putter on the third green. So I had to putt with a wedge <laughs> and went in afterwards and bought a new ping putter. <laughs> and so she was very confused as to what on earth was going on. So I, I often, uh, I love going into pro shops and picking up putters because, you know, they tend to sit well and so it's, it's a nice thing to do. There's a, there's a darkness in your soul, Eddie, on the golf course, isn't there? And, and possibly off the golf course as well. But, um, so on a putter, oh, we're going off on a little digression immediately, but on a putter, if you've putted well with a putter before, because putters are usually the first things to, to get changed, aren't they? But if you've putted well with a putter before and won tournaments, then would you not say, I'm surely going to be able to putt well with that again, that it's not the putter, it's it's me, it's not you, it's me, and that you, you should go back and, and or retain old faithful? Well, absolutely. But that's assuming that, you know, golfers think rationally and logically at all times, Andrew, and you know just as well as I do that the game of golf can uh, lead us all astray and bring out the worst in all of us, and I'm no different, I'm afraid. So uh, I have a reckless abandon, generally speaking, for things, and that's probably the worst thing about myself. I can dispose of almost anything, unfortunately apart from maybe the dogs and Jen. I like the priority order order there. <laughs> dogs uh, and then Jen. Anyway, we're into the tournament void on the European, the DP World Tour. And so are you, like Alan Partridge, just going down to your local petrol station, hanging out with the staff there, bang a Ginster's pasty, <laughs> shooting the breeze? What are you... What are you up to? Just practicing, grinding away again? Um, I'm doing some practice. Yeah, I did have to go to the petrol station the other day to fill up the, uh, get some petrol for the gardener, the tractor. Tractor needed filling up. So he gives me a weekly job there. So that was interesting. But other than that, no, I've been in the barn. I've been practicing quite a bit, working on my uh, my game, my swing, and uh, things are feeling pretty good. So I'm ready to go and play. I'll be back out in Northern Ireland in a couple of weeks' time and then possibly we'll be playing nine in 10 weeks, maybe even more. So very busy run coming up when I do get started mm. again. Ian, did you see that, because um, Lee Westwood had a, a, a there was mm. a bit of chat on Twitter. I'm not going to call it X. Elon Musk, what are you doing? He's scuttling his own ship. I don't understand what's going on. Um, but there was a little bit of chat on. I actually had a moment. Sorry, Andrew. I had actually had a moment where I said to my wife, I said, where's my Twitter app gone? I, I didn't realize Elon had brought this X thing in. So I was very confused by it. Yeah. But you're right. There was a there was a a, a Twitter scrimmage over this this break in uh, on the DP World Tour that, that kind of sucked Eddie in and and somehow I was tagged in it, 
all the way. It was really, I, I was finding it quite tedious. And I'll tell you one thing, and I'm going to say some, I, I, I'm going to say, hopefully I'll be really balanced about this, but Lee Westwood loves to make quite a lot of comments about an organisation that he's resigned from, I've sort of noticed in the last few months. And I can see it both ways. On one level, he's you know, been a stalwart of European golf for such a very long time. Of course, he's interested in it. But equally, you know, in the environment in which professional golf's been operating over the last year or so, you just sort of wonder whether, you know, on one level he's saying, well, I've, I've left the European tour, so what's it got to do with me? And so what has it got to do with you? Why are you commenting on it? So I just kind of throw that in without any kind of axe to grind or any great opinion to it. It's just an observation. Hmm. We thank you for that observation. Well, I'd agree. There's probably 39 million reasons why he shouldn't do that. Oh, that's actually how much he's earned on the European tour. I, uh, you know, I noticed what he said and I had to chime in because I just know what he, he was referring to wasn't really true. The players actually asked for the break that we've got last year. And I think I alluded to this last week on the podcast or two weeks ago. So hmm. I suppose not the first time Lee has fallen foul to misinformation, nor myself, I should probably say as well. But uh, yeah, sometimes these things have to be put right. Well, um, let's move on to more joyous things. I found myself enjoying watching golf at the weekend, which doesn't often happen. I don't actually um, watch that much golf when I'm not um, when I'm not working. I've watched, I watched some of the golf, but, um, but I enjoyed watching. Uh, well, I was down at Porthcull for a couple of days, but I enjoyed watching the carnage, the carnage at uh, at Porth Call at the weekend, in particular on the Sunday. Now, obviously, they didn't enjoy playing in it. If you didn't see it, it was um, a steady 30 miles an hour, gusting up to 45, 50 miles an hour, and chucking it down sideways at times as well. And uh, there were some good numbers on the first hole at Porth Call, in one particular sort of spell of weather. Uh, so Philip Archer's tee shot in the first drive went 168 yards. Uh, and he didn't hit a bad shot, uh, and it, but but it was just what I enjoyed about it was, it seems like it takes that kind of weather almost now to make players have to try and control the ball or move it or hit it there to to get it to go there or just hit it lower and higher or, or just do things with it because then in the evening I watched about a hole and a half of the three M open classic invitation or whatever it was called in uh, in Blaine, Minnesota. And that was just perfect conditions and just bomb it down there and wedgie McWedgerson. So I enjoyed watching watching them have to try and hold it up into a, a 40 mile an hour crosswind. I don't know if you enjoyed it as well, guys. I did. I mean, Jen watched it actually on Sunday and I thought it was great TV. You know, I, I, I must say I felt sorry for some of the guys. I mean, poor VJ in the wind just he looked like a broken man and, and i had a there was definitely some sympathy there for me just watching these guys phil archer i mean he missed the putt must have been foot foot and a half and to his credit having watched it i actually think it was the wind um the commentators were giving him some crap for it and blaming it on nerves that might have been the same commentator though who said that alex checker maybe should be considered for the Ryder cup so i'm you know a credence would be obviously i didn't he- i didn't hear that <laughs> yeah off the back of talking about podrick um, there's a whole no, a very very poor take um but yeah i i thought it was great tv great entertainment to your point some of the shots that were required to be hit were incredible um podrick you know who is at the top of the game i think even you could still say at the top of the, the overall game to see him suffering and and the tenacity that he was showing was was impressive and i think it goes to show that Sometimes in an event, the standard doesn't need to be exceptional for it to be really entertaining. As long as it's a close finish, which we got, 
and the conditions obviously added a lot to the, the to the uh, to the excitement. Then um, I thought it was very very good viewing and very different. I really enjoyed it. I'm, I mean, I'm not quite as as cynical as 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 Andrew in terms of watching golf. I I, I love to watch the golf sort of all the time. But I am. Oh, sorry. I'm, I would say I, I I love watching golf. Sorry. Let's clear that up. I watch golf all day, every day, and because otherwise people get the idea that I'm a unprofessional now in my work. Yeah, go for it. You know, I love. I love. God, I love watching golf. I all of it. I watched the US <laughs> Junior Amateur at the weekend. I just couldn't get enough, and uh, the dogs are coming in saying, "What are you doing? We need to go for a walk." I said, "Listen, I've got to watch the US Junior Am and talk about it on a podcast." Uh, sorry, carry on. Ian. No, but the point I was going to make was that I the 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 kind of golf that I'd be least likely to watch would be seniors golf. I there's something about about seniors golf that makes me inside say, guys, you've had your day. You, you I've I've given you my attention in the past when you were really really good, and now I want to watch the guys who are now really really good. But I really made an exception on Sunday because that was great entertainment. It, it, it was, it was fantastic. And I mean, Andrew had set it, set it up for us brilliantly, hadn't he? Eddie with the WhatsApp group sending us that picture of Alex Chaker's calves, the smoothest <laughs> calves he'd ever seen. They're extraordinary. Right at the start of the week. And so I was invested really from that moment on the WhatsApp group and, um, and then when, when you messaged us on Sunday, I was quite busy on Sunday, but then uh, I got the message when, when you, you told me about the weather and uh, Philip Archer's drive and all of that. I absolutely loved it and was glued to it right to the end. I've got some observations that I'll make later in the pod about it um, in terms of pace of play and that kind of thing. But we'll, we'll move on to that, I know, later on. So, But it was great competition. I mean, Alex Checker, he had just had a shirt on, which I could not believe, but I did notice his forearms are also incredibly smooth. So maybe he just goes for a full body wax. I don't want to stereotype a whole nation, but I, I wonder if it's a German thing. Yeah, I, I would say, so the backstory to me finding out that Alex Checker has ridiculously smooth calves is nothing more sinister than I was at a petrol station just outside Porth Call as I arrived and was behind this guy who... um so he's trying to pay for his petrol, which is a good start, obviously the right thing to do. But his credit card, in trying to sign for the petrol, he had broken the till. And the woman was trying to explain to him that uh, you had to use contactless or swipe, but you couldn't sign for it. And it had broken her till and they had to go to another till. And what I would say about Alex Cheka in this situation is that a lot of people and quite quite a few golfers probably would lose it a bit, but he was nothing but civil. And so good for Alex Checker and that. They went to Ella Till, sorted out. I was the one sort of, uh, but then I thought, oh, that's Alex Checker. And so then as he was sort of going to the other till, I took a photo of his calves because I'd become transfixed by them. But then I thought that's a, that's a photo taken without permission. So I deleted it, but I've committed it to my memory because they were for a 53 year old man. They were the most ridiculously, not just smooth calves, but the most ridiculously young-looking calves. I think he's had a calf transplant. There's somewhere there is a, in in Germany or Florida, possibly now, there is a, a young lad walking around with 53-year-old calves. Uh, no, I don't think that's, no, that's, that's unlikely, isn't it? But anyway, they were... So uh, on Ian's principle, the first golfer you see at a tournament is the person you put money on, that I should clearly have done that, and not just because of the calves thing, but... Um, that was uh, I, like Ian. I don't. I don't watch senior golf. I don't really enjoy watching it. I kind of think it's um, 
a bit of a sort of ceremonial thing where you get to one thing about it though is you do get to see the crowd you do get to get much closer to VJ Singh or Monty or Padraig Harrington than you would at, at normal tournaments now so I think there is it is great for that but I don't usually watch it but I did enjoy it on uh, on Sunday Monty shot 88 now he shot 71 70 in the first two rounds and then uh, 88 in the final round but it was uh, that was just weather and Andy had a problem with his toe as well he he walked off after the second round we were supposed to be doing a chat in the village and he, he said corporate. I'm not going to do the impression no it wasn't corporate no 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 it's just uh, just for the good of the game um, <laughs> and he but he but he, he was stomping off to but he was limping quite heavily and I'm not I won't do my impression but he said um good game good game no he said um <laughs> he said um he said my my toe I, I just wish they could chop my toe off anyway but he was trying but he was still trying to get away quickly enough so that he, uh, but then I stopped him for a quick chat and he said got to go Andy Andy okay got to go and uh and he said I wish they could just chop my toe off and I said all right um well I, I probably they probably can't do that and now, Andrew, all of these things that come in of Monty, I've always said, is this Monty or is it you? And 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 I've always believed you when you said it's definitely Monty. But the more I hear your impression of him, the less sure I am about that. I do have a question because my theory yes. was with... Uh, Eddie, <laughs> go for it. Good, good lad. Good lad. <laughs> my, I mean, it's I, I, on Monty, I can't believe it. he's built for the win. So 88 was a, was a, was a strange uh, result, I suppose. But I have a question. I, my theory is because a lot of these guys who are now entering Champions Tour, Seniors Tour age came into being when television took off and they became the stars and they became popular, you know, in conjunction with television, et cetera. My theory is that actually it would be reasonable to expect Champions Tour and Seniors Tour golf to go through a continued boom of sorts as the guys like Phil Mickelson and the Westwoods and the Jimenezes and, and these guys of the world move into that because they they carry with them a lot of support because that's what they, from the time they came in, do you, do you not see it that way? Or do, do you think that a lot of older consumers of golf, actually all they really care about is watching exceptional golf? Or do you think they're invested more in the personalities, which would, you know, stand behind my kind of theory a bit more? What, what's your sense with that, Ian, especially? Well, I think the attraction of senior golf is, is, is being able to see your heroes from days gone by and and golf is unique in that you know you can go along you can get up close there is that opp- opportunity i think more than in other sports to be able to interact with with the guys and i think that there's you know it's not as serious as back in the day and so i think the the senior players provide that that level of personality that that goes with it. Yeah, I can see I can see the point of it. I my my honest feeling is that I just it just doesn't do that much for me because I want to see the best of the best against the best at at the very highest level. But equally as a, a bloke of a certain age, I can see the appeal of being able to go there and see these guys when they're not as flexible as they once were, although a lot of them are extremely fit, especially for for their age and be able to perhaps relate to the golf a bit more, but it, it's never really attracted me that much. One thing about the senior open, actually there's no Steve Stricker who's the dominant force on the senior tour, champions tour, sorry. Um, 
Ernie Els had to pull out as well. No Lee Westwood either, and it could, he could have been playing in it. Yeah, that's the one I wanted to to sort of discuss there. I think that's I I think that's really bad. Bad on who? Bad on the organisers. For whatever has happened, you know, live players can play in the majors if they're eligible. And if if you're trying to tell me that Lee Westwood, once he's turned fifty, isn't eligible to play in a a senior open, it just makes no sense to me whatsoever. I think you have to put the politics to to one side. I know it's a it's co-sanctioned by the European Tour, but I think the RNA should have stood up and said, "This is an open. He is someone who should be eligible to play." Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ian. And you just referred to the reason why obviously he wasn't there because the European Tour, as you say, co-owned the event. And, and given that he's still got a huge outstanding fine, which he hasn't hasn't paid, then um, that's the reason why he simply wasn't allowed to play on in this event. But I agree with you. Uh, that I think the majors should stand above that. And it's a shame that we've got to this position where that's happening. I mean, he would argue that he hasn't got an outstanding fine to pay because he's left the, the European tour, so he's not subject to that fine. And he did pay the fine that was imposed when he was a member. Yeah, so that's true. So he's paid the, the fine that was legal, but then the retrospective fines that were issued by the tour, which have been, which are legally, well, they were, they are legally able to be issued. Then, you know, that's obviously and a number of players have paid these fines who haven't resigned, but obviously a number have resigned. So if they ever wish to play another event on the tour, then they have to pay that fine before they can do so. That's the position of the European tour at the moment. But you don't have to be a member of the European tour to play in a senior open, do you? I don't know the answer to that question. All I know is is that given that they own fifty percent of the event, their position is, you know, as I said, as I stated, yeah. Email us your thoughts on this if you have an answer. Uh, email to clubchip at I don't know what it is. Maybe we should get Leon as a guest. To be honest, um, oh, that'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? I'm, yeah. I'm, well, I bet he'd do it. Actually, do you think he would? He definitely would do it. One hundred percent, he'd do it. Let's do it. Listen, we've got a, a special guest next week, a very, very tall golfer. So we'll have to get it. But we, we, yeah, we will get him on. He's, uh, yeah, he, we're, we're all great mates with Lee. So, um, Alex Chaker won at Porth Call anyway. Other takeaways. Well, I mean, Harrington, I can't really get, I, I love Podrick Harrington, but he writes could of, would of, and should of in his tweets. Oh. So I'm out, I'm, I'm, I'm out for that reason. I don't, I don't quite understand that. Neil Cheatham. There aren't many golfers called Neil. He was caddying for and coaches Philip Archer. So we mentioned him as a, uh, a late remembered Neil, uh, so he was there. But the other thing that was the other story that was emerging, and on the news, they had it actually on the news down in, in Wales, was uh, Mark Drakeford, the first minister, was uh, talking about the possibility of Porthcawl uh, hosting an Open Championship, and then that generated a little bit of traffic and interest, and people were talking about it on on Twitter. And but I think people are really. A lot of people were coming up with the answer. A lot of people were saying it's all down to money, and I suppose indirectly it is. But it's a wonderful course, both call. But that's not the criteria for hosting an Open Championship now. There is so much more to it than that, and it, it, it because they have such huge spectator numbers and the infrastructure and the accommodation required, and actually even spectator routing at both call. Because I was out walking the course, and the holes are wonderful, but they're they're, they're quite closely packed in together. So there are lots of other things that have to be done before even the possibility of Porthcull getting on to the open rota. I mean, that's why Turnberry, quite apart from the Trump thing, which is a major thing, but quite apart from that, that's why Turnberry's not on the rota anymore, is because it is 
it, don't look quizzical at me. Again, if you're just listening to this, Ian's little quizzical face here. 109,000 spectators Turnberry got in 2009. And it just people just do not go down there to Turnbury for accommodation for travel. You know, Troon is popular because the motorway, the M77, goes right down to Troon now, and you've got the railway station there. You don't have rail links to Turnbury anymore. You don't have, apart from the hotel, you don't have huge numbers of uh, 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 rooms available. So those are the things that the Arnie look at because the course is. Gary Player tweeted a picture, a photo of him in the tenth at uh, on the Ailsa course. And Turnbury, he said that it's his, in his top two courses in the world, along with Pine Valley. And Turnbury is always the course I invariably say now, after the changes made to, in particular, to, to 9, 10, 11, it's, it would be my, one of my favourite courses in the world, but that's not the criteria now for hosting an Open Championship. And I think Porth Call has a long way to go before it gets on. I agree, like, with 95% of, of that, I think. I agree. Not the Trump part. Yeah, I mean the the whole the whole Turnbury thing comes down to to Trump. If it was because of the lack of infrastructure and the difficulty of transportation that Turnbury hasn't had an open since two thousand and nine, then the RNA would surely have said that because that's an easier thing to say. It had gone from the it had gone from the rota before Trump took over. It had effectively gone. It hadn't been announced. They never announced that a course was gone, but it had. They, they got such low number spectator numbers in two thousand and nine that something. Okay, you, you're you're right. Something would have had to change, and maybe they would have done that. But I'm not sure. Martin Slumbers is very much of the opinion that big time golf has to be big, and you need to have the big crowds, and that's why Muirfield is struggling to get an open back. Um, Royal Lytham and St Anne's that kind of falls into that that footprint issue, and certainly there are those issues about Turnbury as well. But the fact that there's been so much invested in that golf course, and yes, it is, I mean, it's just extraordinary. If you played it, Eddie, since the changes, it's, it's, um, it's an amazing golf course. But the whole thing is that they, they will not go there while it is owned by, by Donald Trump because they know that the golf will not be center stage and Trump will, or the Trump family will in some way bigfoot the whole thing. In exactly the way that he did, what was it, 2015, 2016, when the um, Women's Open was there and he arrived in his helicopter and did his press conferences and all of that. And the course has been massively upgraded since then. I get it. Most links courses, you know, they, they just wear you down and grab you by the balls. But Turnbury will do something entirely different. <laughs> I'm just What an image. I, I would love to see Turnbury back on the rota because it is just the best course of them all now. It's uh, I, Again, that's obviously just opinion and there are some great courses out there but in terms of and in ter- the funny thing is in terms of viewing once the spectators get there it's as good as it gets as well because of the the vantage points you have it's and, and it is stunning the location the scenery is just stunning totally i, I agree 100 percent. but also you've got to take into account when gary player turns around and says what he said last week he's a massive trumper yeah he visited trump the day after the capital riots you know keep that in mind as well they're always just political axes to grinding away in the background with all of these things. Anyway, Porth Call hosting an Open. Uh, wouldn't it be good for Wales to host an Open? It, it should happen. Oh, it'd be brilliant. It should happen. But uh, again, it, there are so many things to be sorted out before that's even a possibility. I think that's still a long way away. Porth Call, I, I think the greatest ever seen Porth Call would have witnessed was myself against Oscar Sharp and the British boys 
Uh, I think it was the second round from memory. Uh, I was only about 15 or 16. You may recall Oscar Sharp. You might not. I do. Um, brilliant junior golfer. He was like a young Tiger Woods running around fist pumping. He wasn't particularly popular with the other players, but he was a brilliant little player. And I beat him on the 22nd hole. And that, that was just, uh, such a tremendous victory for the fans, all seven of them. And, um, yeah. <laughs> There aren't many, aren't many <laughs> golfers called Oscar. Uh, I wonder what Oscar's doing now. That's uh, I I love watching. Well, it. funny. I, I when I played the Open at St Andrews, um, I went to the IMG house for dinner most nights. Which Andrew, I know you're there all day. You, you know, hosting your corporate friends, and he was serving. Actually, he was. It was. I can believe it. I was having dinner, and he he was serving me my caviar, and uh, it was it was a bit of a shock. Right, but lovely fella. I interviewed him when he was a kid. And and it was one of the very first articles I wrote as BBC golf correspondent. And I remember, I think my intro was, I think I might have met the new Tiger Woods because there was so much hype around it. And his dad was looking after him. And and out of so this would have been what eighteen, nineteen years ago. And sometime last year, I, his his dad's number is still in my in my phone. And I was flicking through my contacts and inadvertently dialed Oscar Sharp's dad. And he answered it and he went, hi, Ian, how are you doing? And I, I didn't even, you know, when you don't realize you've actually made the, and I was like, and I'm thinking, who am I talking to? And then I look and then I'm thinking, who's Oscar? Because it's in my, it's in my phone as Oscar Sharp's dad. <laughs> I'm like, who am I talking to? Oh, it was a very embarrassing little moment that, but he was, he was so charming. He was really charming. So we, I said, Oh, how's things? All, all great. He said, Yeah. Eddie was a bit rude to Oscar when he, Oscar was serving him food, but apart from that, all's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I made that bit yeah. up. I don't know why he didn't even have his first name in just Oscar Sharp's dad. Cause then you just have to call him. Big man or chief or fellow when you're talking to him. Uh, <laughs> um, I, well, I had a, I had a, a boys, I'm a British boys flashback at Porthcall. I saw this, I saw this guy, uh, you know, like all of them, they're old men now. And I thought, I recognize him. And I had played him in the first round of the British boys at Nairn, uh, in 1989. He was two years older than me, and it was a guy, Ivan Royan, Norwegian guy. But he was the guy you, who you saw as an eighteen-year-old had a you know full moustache and just looked. He was about six foot one when he was twelve. Anyway, so uh, anyway, I did well to keep it to four and three. But I, I, I said hello. We played in the first round of the British Boys at, at Nairn in nineteen eighty-nine. He just went, no, I don't, don't remember that. <laughs> anyway, so that was uh, good reminiscing. Uh, with Ivan Royan at Porthcall. Uh, I think it's time for a quick break. Hi, I'm Colin Montgomery, and you're listening to The Chipping Forecast with my good friend, Eric Pepperell. Uh, right, so... <laughs> can, I, can I just say, I played that to my mum and dad yesterday, and my, my dad thought that was absolutely brilliant. So, um, oh, good impression, Andrew. I love Monty. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, listen, what we need to talk. We need to talk about Carlotta. We need to talk about the Evian Championship. Actually, we don't need to talk about the Evian Championship. It's not. I'm desperately trying to get it demoted from major status for the reasons, not because anything particular against that major, although it is clearly the way, you know, good field, but really sort of still quite a poor course for a major championship. It's, again, stunning location, but it's a, it always has been a resort course, but. 
in terms of just having five majors, and it means you have two so close together in terms of the Evian and then the the, the Women's British Open. I just think it really does. It, it when the women's game is looking for clarity and elevating tournaments, the major tournaments in particular, to special status, I, I think it just muddies the waters having five and having them so close together. And four majors really concentrate on those and the Evian Championship. We're not going to get sponsored by Evian now on this pod, are we? And they were close. I think they were close to coming in, just behind Pro Sender. I, I agree with you, Andrew. I, I really give the Evian kind of... I, I treat it as a big tournament, but not a major. And the origin of majors is and major status was basically that it was conferred on on an event by the media coverage that it that it generated in a sense it's the media who historically have decided what events are are majors because they are considered and given the coverage that is elevated beyond a rank and file tournament and so i, I even though the LPGA and the LET turned around because Evian, as I understand it, said, well, we'll carry on backing this tournament very effectively if you give us major status. Well, that's fine. They've done that and that's important and it's brought in sponsorship. That's fine. But I don't feel like as a member of the media, I have to play that game. So I just treat it as the Evian. And, you know, I'm delighted Celine Boutier has won. I think that's fantastic for the European Solheim Cup effort. And she's won a big check and it's no doubt boosted her career. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, we'll, when we're counting up her majors at the end of her career, that one will be included, but not with much enthusiasm from my point of view for the reasons I've, I've outlined. Yeah, um, Franck Ribou, is the, he was the chairman of, um, of Danone. Danone uh, and their yogurts and everything else, and so he he Frank. pumped money. His family pumped money. Frank, Frank, uh, no, Frank, not Frank. Frank. Did he pump Franks in? No, because they're uh, redundant now. So, um, Frank. Talking of European names, we have this issue obviously on European tour. But when I play with Jorge Campillo, Jorge Campillo, right? Mm. But when I play with James Morrison and Jorge Campillo, James just refuses to call him Jorge and just calls him George. Do you call James Jimmy? I call him Jimbo, actually. <laughs> I call him. Sorry, I don't know where we got onto there. Let's, let's talk Chamez. about Colotta because it's taken us it's taken us as long to get onto Colotta Shigander as it took her to go to play her last hole. So why don't we why don't we get onto her? Yes, why don't we get onto her? I I mean, there, this is very very interesting because uh, if you don't know the story, Carlotta Siganda or Thiganda. Oh, Emma Cabrera Bello uh, says that in Mallorca they don't have the th sound in Spanish, so it's just so. Um, but uh, but uh, Carlotta Siganda, uh, she was given a, a slow play penalty, a two-stroke penalty on the final hole, wasn't it? And uh, she refused to sign for what would have been then a 74. So she just insisted on signing for a five at the last instead of a seven, a 72 instead of a 74. So it's just, I'm just going to refuse to accept this entirely. Which, if you... You know, she disagreed, and I think she's since deleted the Instagram post where she um, explained afterwards she said this was unfair and that the rules officials don't understand professional golf, which is quite an accusation to make. But she was given this penalty. They were on the clock. They knew they knew they had to do something to adjust their time in that group, and then she got another bad time and so got this penalty and then just refused to accept it, so was disqualified. I mean, she is a slow, slow player, and this is where I, I feel quite uncomfortable about 
saying about the women's game that it's slower than the men's game because Ian, we'll come on to you know <laughs> if you timed. I mean, you you were timing. I think Podrick Harrington some of his shots towards the end of the mm-hmm. senior open. Yeah. So of course there are slow players across both sides of the of the game, but I think the women's game in particular there's a lot of slow play. Carlotta Siganda would be one of the slower ones, but whatever you feel about it, you cannot just refuse to accept a penalty. No, I agree. The only sympathy I had with her is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but she got it on her last hole, which is a little bit harsh. Um, I would say. That being said, on balance, clearly she's slow. I agree with you. The women's game does have a slow play issue and something like this needed to be done. So, you know, I, I didn't really have a great deal of sympathy with her in the end, but I agree with everything you just said there. The women, the women, generally speaking, it, whenever, whenever I've watched it, I found it, frankly, intolerably slow. Ian. I agree there is, there is a slow play issue, full stop, in my opinion. And I think if you ask anybody who is, watching the game of golf they just the biggest enemy is slow play and you know I, what was it 55 seconds she got penalized for 54 i think yeah so i i started timing Podrick harrington around the the end of um the end of the the seniors the playoff those putts and the chips that he had from the back of the green on 18 in the playoff were over 90 seconds Alex Chaker was 20 seconds. I saw Harrington, and I don't mean to pick on him, but I saw Harrington at the Open and his group was so far behind the group in front as they were walking up the 16th. We just happened to be be standing there. And you could see rules officials there. I just think that golf has really got to be radical about about this it has to act without fear or favor and i don't believe that it does i think certain people get done and others don't and i'm not saying it should be harrington i'm just saying that they have a really big name and he he took 90 over 90 seconds for those shots at, at the peak time that people are watching and i know conditions are difficult so on and so forth but Andrew and I both commentated at, at Wimbledon where they have seamlessly brought into the game of tennis a shot clock and they could do it. It's perfectly doable. I know that the DP World Tour have done it, you know, the shot clock masters and the sixes and that kind of thing. Just do it. But they won't do it because it's a member's organisation. Member's organisations will not will not take those kind of decisions because they're they're a corporate decision that makes the product better. So there's my rant. No, good rant. I will say in defense of the DP World Tour over the years, the last five, six years, especially we've clamped down on it massively. There are very, very few occasions now where I'm out on the course thinking, God, this feels slow. There has to be an acceptance to some degree. If you're going to watch professional golf, four and a half hours is kind of as quick as we're ever going to do it in three balls because that's just the nature of professional golf. But I totally agree with what you're saying in the majors and in America, especially where they are incredibly oh. slow it, it is yeah. glacial the pace um and and i having played with podrig a number of times i will agree he's one of the slowest players i've ever played with and he is tough sometimes to, to play with and there's absolutely no doubt about it and it maybe does take something like the rna or, or a major to come in and penalize a player like podrig at, at a certain time in a major and that would be would be quite a hit to the system but you know in defense of the dp world tour we, we've cracked down on it massively and the pace of play i don't think is an issue generally on on our tour 
I think you notice, Ian, when you're watching a, a tournament, and that's why it was so noticeable in the playoff, because they were the only two players out there. So when you're watching on TV and there are uh, you know 150 players or 120 players out there, then you don't see slow play, really, because it's they can the, the director can cut, 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 because they're stacking the shots up. But when you're watching a tournament in the flesh and yeah. you actually see players playing, you think, my God, this is incredibly, it's yeah. really slow. Hundred percent, and that—that's why you know I could only really start doing that timing when you got down to that position where they're the only guys on on the course. But I thought, right, I'm going to do this because I know what's happened to Carlotta Saganda, and let's just see, you know, because I got really annoyed. I I um, tweeted out the link to that Saganda story simply because I thought it was really. I thought it was really interesting. One, that action had been taken against slow play, and I applaud that. I've got a whole issue about the appeals processes on rulings in in golf. I think a referee is a referee should make a decision, and it should be accepted and crack on. So there was that element to it. I just thought it was a really, really interesting story. And then my timeline just gets filled up with people saying, oh, the ladies are so slow, the ladies are so slow. Well, two things there. One slow play is an issue in the women's game but call them women don't call them ladies that's another of my bugbears right on a rant today but the but the other thing is that it's just double standards and that's why i thought right i'm getting the stopwatch out right now and it you know it could have been anybody and i you know i timed shaker with just exactly the same motivation and he's hitting it in 20 seconds i'd just come away from the open i walked 54 holes with brian Harmon. now you know magic roundabout was brian the snail because he was slow. He was, you know, he was having, what, eight practice swings before from a right angle behind his ball before addressing his ball on every single putt that he held. What about all the players that are using aim point? That feels like it's glacial in the way that they're, they're lining up putts. I mean, just honestly, you know, and then, and then some people come on my timeline and just say, oh, it's all women, ladies. God, she, oh. Uh, Ian, how many coffees have you had this morning? More than co- what's in the coffee? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, oh, angry Ian is wonderful to see. So I mean, we, we oh, like that. That's the name of the pod. That's the name of this week's pod. Angry <laughs> Ian. <laughs> Unless angry news. Actually, no. It's a, I don't know. You could probably get angry about this as well. So the memo, the email, the missives from Jay Monahan and the the PGA Tour. Oh, oh Ian's just exploded. So compensation to loyalists. Uh, no rollback on the ball. Uh, I mean, I don't, uh, Ian's rolling his eyes. Actually, he did that emoji when you're talking about Carlotta Saganda. No, it wasn't an eye rolling one. It was eyes on this. Look at this. Whoa. Yeah, yeah because it was interesting. Yeah, no, it was interesting. Good. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't just like the blue touch paper on Ian again, but, um. No, no, go, go, someone else go. Eddie, did you read this or just? I did. I did read it. And we had a committee meeting actually the other day in which we discussed some of it. And we also had to give some feedback to the RNA and the USGA on the proposed ball change. And actually, as a committee, we followed suit with the PGA Tour and that we do think something needs to be done. We don't think that this is the way in which it should just be done or the, the sole way to go about it. And, and we, you know, as players, we've all had discussions with guys at the RNA, both personally and online as a group. So, I think there's been a lot of discussion had in the last few months between all parties. And I think there is a consensus that something absolutely needs to be done. But I think most players actually want to explore more the club option, maybe as well as the ball, but not just the ball option. But on the uh, player benefits program, I think it was called or something like that, the reparations for, you know, already very rich uh, pro golfers. Yeah, it's it's absolutely bonkers. And, and I think 
you know, I've said in the past that I don't really know how this is all going to work and how much money they're going to waste just giving money out. You know, I know Chesson Hadley's made comments and got cop some heat in the past for them, but in my opinion, he's entirely within his right to say what he said because there are players in his standing who also went to live and have been rewarded. And um, this is the problem. Once you open up a grey area like this, where does it end? When does it end? And how does it end? And, and I just don't think the game should be um, the PGA Tour. I don't think should be going on this route, but clearly they're going to, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, I did think John Rahm's comments about this at the Open, I think it was at the Open, were very, very fair. Yeah. And uh, as usual with John, Spot on. Ian, what do you... Uh, I... Well, we, we discussed those John Rahm comments, didn't we, Andrew, on, on our little uh, chiplet forecast um, ahead of the Open when, and I agree with Eddie, um, I thought he was he was spot on there. You see Mickelson's tweet this week where he, he basically says, well, no live player wants to go back to the PGA Tour. And this whole reparation thing is to try and level the playing field so that the PGA Tour can get the Cam Smiths and the Bryson DeChambeau's back playing PGA Tour events, which they want. I think that there is a very, and I've I've heard it said, there's a strong fear in the PGA Tour that if they don't get the framework agreement through with the DP World Tour and the, and the uh, Public Investment Fund, then LIV will obviously be greatly strengthened. But also those players who remained loyal to the PGA Tour uh, could potentially just turn themselves into a rebel breakaway league themselves. They could get their, raise their own money and just go their own way because there is that feeling of dissatisfaction. So there, uh, uh, with the way that this has all been carried out by PGA Tour management. And I think that there will be a lot of people who look at this and say what Jay Monaghan has done in terms of uh, the distance issue is he is appeasing players who do not want the ball rolled back. And so many of the big names, Patrick Cantlates, the uh, Justin Thomases, all of these uh, people turning around and saying that the the RNA and the USJ are wrong. This is the same Jay Monaghan who in 2019 said that the game was in the hands of two fantastic, or words to the effect of, two fantastic rules-making bodies. But now he's turning his back on them, and I think it's to, well, it's, it doesn't matter what I think, but I I know that there is a feeling within the game that that is to appease those players and keep them on side because he needs them on side. Um, what was also interesting in that memo was that this guy Colin Neville from the Rain Group is coming in and he is act- actually acting as an agent for the players to make sure they get the best out of the reparations and all that's going on thrashing out this framework agreement. And this framework agreement has to work. It has to work for the PGA Tour. It has to work for the DP World Tour and the people who are sitting pretty in all of this at Saudi Arabia and those funded by the PIF. Uh, there's a lot of politics there's here. There's a lot of politics. A lot of politics going on. Uh, it's true. No, it is I, true. I, I, I don't know. I, you know, Eddie, you sit on committees i know you, you there's certain things you can say and you can't say or whatever but that's my feeling looking at at everything that's gone on there i just thought again it it made me well, angry because the the golf ball has to come back you know it's nuts yeah i, I agree with you on the ball thing uh and and you know like i said discussions have been had and i think there is ways in which it can be done um different ways maybe that that might be better for the game but but certainly the ball can be included in that i think the introduction of colin neville as you say is an interesting one because that does suggest that the players have basically said to jay we don't trust you to moving forward to, to provide you know 
to give us what we think is best for us. So there's clearly some, as you say, dissatisfaction and, and some mistrust there. And players indeed have said it publicly. So, um, you know, I think Jay's clearly conscious of that and wants moving forward to, to put in the right things so that players feel as though they're represented in, in a way that they can be happy with. But, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to take a long time to play out as well. This is the thing that we are realizing, you know, when I first heard of this agreement, there were, there was hopes that this was going to be done or a lot of it was going to be agreed by the open. I mean, this is going to take a long, long time and, and there are ramifications you know, in that. But Andrew, do you get the feeling that what's going on here is that something that is fundamental to the playing of the game, i.e. the whole distance issue, is now being used as a bargaining chip within the wider politics that are going on involving the PGA Tour? Because that's what it feels like, I know, to a lot of people around the game. It, it does feel like that. I think But I, I think when amateurs look at this, um, I think I do want to see distance reduced in golf i want to see uh, not just distance reduced in golf but i want to see sort of somehow that they uh, are able to punish slightly wayward strikes in the club face that's i don't i think it's what is possible and the ball would be a very simple thing to do but i like the idea in golf that we all play the same equipment and you'll say well they're not play- the tour players aren't playing the same drivers anyway they've got slightly hotter faces or whatever they might be but I like the idea that we can progress through and with a handicaps scheme system, we can play exactly the same game effectively and we're using the same equipment. So I think it's very sad that it comes down to an idea of bifurcation of splitting, having a pro, a tour ball and having an amateur ball. I'd like it to be, if it, if it were to be rolled back, it were to be rolled back across the game through professional and amateur ranks so that Yes, the amateurs are hitting at slightly less, slightly shorter distances as well. But I just don't like the idea of having different balls for, for the pro game and for the for the amateur game. Um, but but the idea, I think the the compensation thing sits even more uncomfortably with me. You know, reparations and compensation, and you know, that is a very very strange and again uncomfortable words to be using about giving golfers millions and millions and millions of pounds in compensation for as john ram said a decision they made to stay well that's the way life works you make a decision and sometimes it works out for some people and sometimes it doesn't work out for others so uh because there is going to be compensation but i wonder how it's going to be done and, and wonder to, to how many people whether it's just to the bigger names who get something and the chess and hadley's get given a, a, a pat on the back and a ruffle of his hair and said um, off you go now chess and so um yeah but the, the whole thing sits very uncomfortably with me but as as both of you have said i just do not know where this is going and when this is going to be resolved there's a lot of heavy politics around at the moment isn't there but there was one story that i do just want to highlight um which a much happier story this is from a seniors golf event um here's me saying I, i can't be bothered to watch senior senior pros this is from a senior amateur event um that was over two days at a golf course in bournemouth and there were four holes in one uh, in the same competition. The first came on the very first hole of the competition. It was at, um, I think it's Mayrick Park in Bournemouth, the club at Mayrick Park. The first hole is 220 yards. Austin Okei, a 65 year old karate instructor, hold out. He set the tone for, for the day because Clive Wingfield had one at the 12th. Matt De- Dooley, who's 75 on the 162-yard tent. So that was three in the day. And then the very next day, Clive Wingfield came back to the 12th hole and he had another hole in one. So he had two, four in total in the same competition. Yeah. Who says seniors golf is boring? 
Well, who says they're telling the truth? No, they, of course they are. I'm, I'm all with that. Although they've got to start setting tougher pins on that course because <laughs> they've, they've made it like Master Sunday or the Par Three course at the Masters. Oh, another hole in one. Who'd have, who'd have imagined it with that little trough gathering back down to the holes? So, no, well done to all of them. Just on on lighter on lighter topics. So I have joined a, a new golf club. Um, uh, it's the it's the crazy golf course at the New Malden Driving Range. No, it's a, it's a golf course. Uh, I'm not going to say where it is. But they allow dogs on the course. They, they almost encourage it. So the only other courses I can think of that allow dogs, are, I mean, there will be loads of them. And people, if you want to email us in, uh, email us in, email in to us about uh, whether your course allows dogs. I, I'd like to draw up a sort of catalogue of dog-friendly golf courses because Sunningdale, I know they do. Uh, St Andrews, you can take your dogs on the courses. So I don't know other ones. But anyway, this one that I've joined does allow dogs. And so I went out last night to try out because Olive and Mabel have not been, they've been on one golf course and that was the old course and that was um, uh, chaotic. So I took Mabel out because she's the she's the difficult one. She's not the brightest bulb in the box. And so I thought I'll just take her out and I'll get her to sit at the side of the greens and I'll get her to stay. And it didn't go well because you get her to sit at the side of the tee or just a few yards away where you're hitting your shot. And you tell her to stay and you try and swing just quickly enough because she'll just creep in. She just needs to be near you. And uh, so she'll creep in. So you've got a very, you've got a sort of Nick Price rhythm to get your shot away before she comes in. Uh, but I was told once by Paul McGinley, who used to walk his dog, Phoebe, on Sunningdale all the time when he played mm. Sunningdale, he said, no, the way he was taught to train his dog was by Eamon Darcy, uh, obviously another great Irish golfer. And he said, he said, no, you've got to hit the dog with his swing, didn't he? When, <laughs> his, his dog had a tidier swing, but uh, what a player he was. Anyway, so he said, no, when the dog, I'm not going to do the impression again. He said, he said, um, good game, good game. He said, when the dog uh, comes from the, the longer grass of the fairway onto the green or goes into a bunker, I don't know how he would expect the dog to tell just that the stimp, stimp meter was suddenly running a bit faster on its paws. But anyway, when it goes onto the green, he says, you grab its ears and you go and shake its ears. I don't know if you have to do the noise, but maybe that just adds to the, the fear factor for the dog. So what's going on here? Eamon's growling at me and he's grabbed my ears. I don't like this at all. So I'll stop just short of the green. So Paul McGinley did this with his dog a couple of times and instantly that was it. The dog learned not to go on the green. So just stop just short of the greens, never went in the bunkers and you can walk your dog off the lead the whole way around and it's a joy if you clean up after your dog. I, I mean, I, I'm all in on dogs, but I think on a golf course they probably have to be extremely well behaved. And it will be a work in progress with uh, my two in particular with Mabel. Uh, but I'm not going to grab her ears and go and shake them because we're, we're, we're too far along for that. You can't teach them new tricks anyway. So. Well, the good news about that dog chat, Andrew, is if you tweet out to all your followers that we've talked about dogs for five minutes, we're going to, our listenership's going to at least triple on this episode. So um, thanks for doing that. Yeah, I don't, think, uh, I don't think anybody's left on Twitter now on X. I just, I, I think it's, it's disappearing fast. Listen, we've gone on quite a long time, Ian. If you were to, you look as if you've got something to, something to say again in your room with medals hanging up. Why have you got medals? What are those medals they're, for? They're not medals, actually. They're, um, they're accreditations from various events. Oh no, I can see I one that looks like myself. it. Oh no, it is accreditation. So. Hang on, I can see oh, one there. It's okay. for the Evian, Evian twenty twenty two. It's for all the senior tournaments that he's been to. 
There's a yeah. Okay. There's a compass. And there's a hi-fi system. No, I didn't have anything further. I had I had nothing further to add. Yeah, there is actually a hi-fi system. It's playing okay. Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Forsyth. It plays funny stories of Bruce Forsyth. Uh, <laughs> right. Sorry, is that it? Um, I, just one thing I would say on the course that I've joined is that I like it as well because it's environmentally friendly. They've got no fairway watering. So four weeks ago, the place was yellow, brown. It was brilliant. You play it as you as you find it. Um, and now it's it's utterly green, obviously. But the greens are watered. But apart from that, it is just left as nature intended. It's a brilliant, a brilliant course as well. But um, I think that's probably the way forward, isn't it? Because uh, water and golf and uh, living in harmony with the environment, that's going to become a bigger and bigger issue. Um, so I'm I'm quite pleased to be a member of a club there that is uh, that doesn't have fairway watering and has dogs roaming wild. So there we are. Eddie, what have you got, um, got coming up apart from your what? Chuckling away? Yeah, yeah no, I'm I've uh, I'm off to a festival this weekend. Uh, my first ever festival. I've just upgraded to fifty pound. It's cost me for three days use of nicer toilets. Did you do that when you just had a triple bogey in a tournament? You thought I'm going to upgrade to this festival. I'm going to have nicer loos to go to. There we are. Yeah, I did it on the twelfth tee in Denmark. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm off to a wilderness festival. It's called, so I should fit in. Um, yeah, it's uh, local to me, so uh, four of us are going. I'm looking forward to it. I'll, I shall provide you with the uh, review next Monday or Tuesday when we're next recording. Well, we look forward to that. As I mentioned, we've got a special tall golfer guest uh, next week. Just say I'm going to be raving with my pro sender in my right hand. <laughs> I kind of want to know why it's called the Wilderness Festival, but we'll leave that until next week because we have gone on at great length this week. Um, thank you, Ian. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, Ian, enjoy uh, your senior golf watching. Eddie, enjoy the Wilderness Festival. And I will go and train my dogs on the range. Bye for now. I need a coffee. Perfect. <laughs> and that completes this edition of The Chipping Forecast. Wishing you a safe and pleasant night. Holding pocket.